the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. Just a song, just a song. I can't run a shoot gun, honey. Welcome to the Marinade with Jason Earl, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is episode 130, and our guest is Stefan Prigmore. Stefan is a songwriter from East Texas whose second full-length record, Everything is at least both, has been a fixture in my life since its release last November. Stefan has a unique sound that transports me to specific places in my life, and after sitting down with him, a little of that magic started to make sense. Everyone, it is my great pleasure to bring you my conversation with Stefan Me, I like to do it in just my t-shirt and my socks. But it's something in the way, in the way, I can't get you, babe. I can't get you, babe. Jason. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Man, I drop your CD. I um I've had like this really frustrating day. And I in the back of my mind was like just get there. You're gonna get to pick Stefan's brain later. You've been listening to this fucking record for months now. Oh, right You're ex- on. excited to talk about it, and you got me through this day, buddy. So thank you so much for that. All I really right. appreciate you doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure, man. This this record, uh, and I've been listening to all your music, but everything is at least both came out back in uh, November of last year. And for folks mm-hmm. listening, um, go grab it. I I want to tell you a quick anecdote about kind of like why this record hits for me so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so back in November, right after the record came out, uh, I got to interview Hayes Carl and uh, I oh, went, cool. yeah, it was, it was amazing. I went down to Lake Wales, Florida and Lake Wales is one of these places that's like stuck in time, right? Um, in mm-hmm. good ways and not so good ways. And, sure, but it has uh kind of a, a artistic renaissance that it's going through like Allison Russell played there at a festival recently and uh, Hayes played there last year and then again 
you know, two years ago and then again last year. And they have this whole concert series with having all these amazing artists come through. And so it's kind of that that beautiful dichotomy of this place that is stuck in time in good ways and stuck in time in not so good ways with also this kind of renaissance that's happening. And to get there from Orlando, where I live, you pass through a bunch of fucking nothing, right? And and so it was late at night. I interviewed Hayes, got to see his set. I'm driving home and I'm listening to your record. And I'd already listened to it a couple of times and really enjoyed it and was hooked on it. But this time, this moment, driving through that from that place through these other places absolutely captivated me. It fit like this belonged there. Does that make sense? Oh, that's cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely does. I had a similar experience. Um, I played at the old quarter down in Galveston. Right on. Uh, a couple months back, I guess. And I played there with my friend Gabe Wooten, this this Galveston songwriter guy. And while I was there, I thought like, man, this dude is, uh, he's like the East Texas version of Tom Waits narration in uh, Nighthawks at the Diner. You ever listen to that record? Yeah. Yeah. And so on the way back, I listened to a little bit of that Night Nighthawks at the Diner. I was like, oh yeah, that's Gabe. And then I put on Gabe's live at the old quarter record where he does some of that banner back and forth with the crowd. And it was the same kind of thing. So I know exactly what you're talking about, like where the album fits the place and the drive and the mindset and the mood. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. And I'm uh, honored and grateful that my music got to be in that place with you, brother. I'm so glad, dude. I'm so glad sure. that you get it. I mean, cause I, I wonder how much, how conscious you are when you're writing and when you're making music, how conscious you are of the essence that I'm grasping that I'm talking about. I think it's the, I think what you're talking about, that feeling that, uh, I guess maybe emotional spirit, is a good way to put it mm -hmm. that is going on and that I'm processing when I'm writing the songs. And then when I'm revisiting them and those songs again to record them, like with Clay, when me and Clay work on, on these songs together, it's the same sort of, like I said, emotional spirit. And I think that's probably the same thing that you were feeling maybe at the time that you were listening to it as you were driving. And somehow I don't want to get too healy feely here, but that's a, uh, yeah, that's Healy feeling. That's how the what, universe all connects us, man. That's what we do here. So don't be afraid to get. Yeah. Healy. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think I, I don't think about it consciously, but I think subconsciously somewhere in the ether in our collective consciousness, that stuff that you're talking about, that you were feeling that was going on inside you when you were driving and listening to it, I think is possible. It's the same stuff that I was similar emotional spirit. Like I said, that I was working through and feeling when I was writing the songs and then I'll, probably when I was tracking them too with Clay. That leads me, and yeah. you're talking about Clay Parker, who's kind of a creative partner of yours, right? I mean, fair to say yep. he's pretty much a creative partner of yours. I, cause So I, that brings up another feeling that I had when I was listening to the record, talking about that sort of connection, that sort of something in the universe. Um Cause when I listen to this record and I, dude, I have listened to it a lot. Like I, I have really devoured. Right yeah. It's, it's, it's great. And I've devoured it and it, it hits, hits a few different things for me. I just mentioned that one where that connection sort of organically came up and made sense to me. But I also was thinking about the other day, I was thinking how both the melodies and the lyrics 
and I, maybe we need to talk about those separately, but how they transport me to sort of like the best parts of growing up for me. It's like, a, oh, wow. like a mature look back for me as I'm listening to it of the, of none of the shitty stuff, right? None of the baggage um, was coming up with it as I was listening to this. And I wonder if it's sort of your, and I don't use this lightly, man, your prine-esque ability to take these kind of like simple, almost mundane moments in life and, and transform them into poetry and something deeper and more beautiful. Um, because I was like transported to like, and on several of these songs, um, I play C transports me to like learning the guitar and thinking and the, and the, I know that that wasn't one you wrote, but just the way you sing it, like, and the way it's presented to, transports me to like the, when I discovered the a minor, <laughs> um, gunpowder right. and pine takes me to just like times that I've spent with my, um, my father in as a young man, just like out in the woods or whatever we were doing, oh, man. it didn't matter what we were doing. Um, Tracy takes me to like specific women, man, from like at the time kids, you know, and it just takes me to places in my upbringing right. that are, that are so simple, but you have a way of capturing them in such a uh, deep and powerful way. Wow. Thanks, man. That's, that's a, that's a huge compliment. And like I said, I'm, I'm, totally honored and flattered that you connected with these songs in such a way. I think that um, a lot of my music uh, over the last four years, probably in particular, the stuff I've written is a lot about um, kind of processing some traumatic stuff that I've been through in my life, you know? And so then I think like what's distilled out of it, when it comes to the song is um, <clears throat> hopefully something that's relatable to more folks. You know what I mean? Cause like not everybody has same experiences, but everybody has shared emotions, you know, and shared feelings. And I think that's what like uh, Heather little, uh, she's a songwriter friend of mine. She wrote some incredible songs. It's a big hits, but she also wrote this song razor wire. That I, that I put on the record and she has this knack I always say she might be the best songwriter in the country um, she writes a lot of pop country songs but they're unique and powerful because they're not lowest common denominator kind of songs they're honest and true experiences and feelings that she's felt and experienced but she's so good at connecting it in a way, connecting to that stuff in a way that's understandable to lots of people and probably humanity at large. I think that's a, a true gift to take some real difficult stuff like that and turn it into a into a, a thing that you can share with others and connect with others on. And then in the process, um, lean spiritually into that and on that to kind of help you get through some stuff. And I think I look, I think I look to her a lot in that stuff you're talking about. Like, yeah, I think I saw her and of course John Prine too. 
Yeah, I think I saw, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I saw a performance on YouTube with you and Heather playing together. Mm -hmm. Does that exist? Do you, have yeah, you guys there's, played like uh, in the round? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we've done a lot of, a lot of stuff together. Um, there's probably, you might have seen the one that we did in Tyler. I think that Everyone is what it's I saw. called. It's pretty long, like a yeah, full, like long. hour and a half long. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yep. That's what I saw. Yeah. The interplay between now, there was a clear uh, mutual respect. Like it, that, that jumped off oh, right on. like a very clear mutual respect. Cause what you just described from her, that's what you're obviously doing. When you listen to this record, it come, it comes so clearly that that's what you, you are doing it. Where do you think that comes from for you? Right. So like, let's break that down a little bit. What you just described from Heather is what I experience when I'm listening to your music as well. Where do you think that comes from? Where does your ability to do that come from? I think part of it comes from um, what I was shown when I was younger was good music. And what was presented as good music. Um, you know, my father was a musician and there was always music playing around the house from like, Leon Russell or the band and Joe Cocker um, as well as like uh, Ray Price, uh, Willie Nelson, Bob Dylan, like, and a lot of blues stuff too from like uh, Freddie King, uh, Buddy Guy, John Lee Hooker. Wow. What and an so, education. Yeah, man. It's, it's weird too. Cause like the country stuff, like my dad always played country bands and I cut my teeth uh, playing in country bands with dad. And then like, I got way away from it. It wasn't until like my thirties when I realized what an impact that stuff had on me and what a part of me musically it was, you know, like Western swing and like the country politan thing and, uh, to like, even like eighties country, like Steve Warner, like, or like if I listen to the song, like some fools never learn. Like it takes me back to being like seven years old with mom watching dad play in some restaurant slash dance hall honky tonk when like urban cowboy was the thing, you know, and everybody was dressing up and going to do that. Uh, I remember watching my dad hit those cymbal parts at the beginning of the little guitar intro for some fools never learn, you know? And so, uh, yeah, and I think that me all that music is stuff that's emotionally honest. Mm. And maybe because that's what was presented to me so much when I was younger. Now, as an adult, I think about being emotionally honest in my songwriting, too. You know, mm. like not pulling any punches um, and just trying to express what I'm feeling in the most kind of vulnerable and true way I can, you know, in respect to what, what the subject matter is or what I'm going through or what I've dealt with. Man. Is there a couple of times when melody really stands out to me with a guest, I try to distill it. Cause I feel like it's some sort of esoteric concept that's impossible to distill. Um, but I, I still am chasing it because I, especially me as someone who writes songs as a hobby, um, words always come to me. Melody is difficult sometimes, especially me figuring out how to create it since I'm kind of a rudimentary guitar player and I struggle with recreating what's in my head. The melodies on here, as much as the lyrics take me to the place I mentioned earlier, 
um, this place of of sort of um, discovery early on in life, but from a mature standpoint, from like almost a looking back again, that's how I sort of process this record in so many ways. So many of these songs. Um, do you have any sense of like, for you, where the melodies come from? Um, is it something that you're working on? Is it something that's just sort of there and you're putting it down? Well, I don't know. Like there's times where I'll, I'll have a song idea. I'll have, you know, some lyrics and I'll have a musical feel that kind of sorts it. And so then I'll find a key that works, that feels comfortable. And then based on the musical feel, I'll come up with a little chord progression and then try to build a melody out of that. But I think what happens more often is uh, I'll have some chord and melody thing bouncing around in my head and that happens to intersect and line up with something I've been writing about or journaling about, you know, and then uh, it's kind of like a subconscious intersection of those things that happens. And then a song comes together. And what I think that comes from is uh, all that music being around when I was a kid and learning a lot of other people's music, you know, like I think because of uh, uh cut my teeth on country songs and Bob Dylan and Peter, Paul and Mary that kind of grew in me. What I think in some somewhere buried in my like teenage mind is an idea back there of what a melody is supposed to be like. And I wouldn't be able to tell you exactly what that is. It just feels like something I do now because you learn a bunch of other people's music and then it teaches you how to kind of create your own. Oh, that's great. You know, that makes yeah. sense. It makes a I ton think of it's something like that. Yeah, it makes cool. a ton of sense. I, and it it may be like somewhat unsatisfying from my analytical brain that just wants like some roadmap. Um, but the roadmap is doing doing the work of listening and learning and making and 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 practicing is what it sounds like for you. Like you were you were digesting all of this stuff and you were learning to play all of this stuff. I think really it sounds like it's just sort of a it's a progression and you gotta trust that process. Yeah, you got to let it get weird and unknown, you know, and say, and like even like the 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 biggest barrier to songwriting or creation is pressure mm. for me, right? And so if I can like go all that and say like, I don't know where it comes from or what it's supposed to be, but I can just let it do whatever it feels like it needs to do right here. And then as often happens, then I look back at the song that was written and I was like, whoa, I had no idea at the time that it was going on. Like it means now I understand it's meaning more than I did when I was putting it together. Man. You know, I, it's I crazy. Can, I can 100% relate to that with things that I make, whatever that thing is. Um, because I think what happens for me is I make the thing and then I initially, almost always initially have a lot of criticism for it. And then I get to a place where I'm like sort of okay with it. And then finally, that sort of final stage of this creation process is where I sort of accept it as it is. And that's the moment usually where I'm able to look back and be like, oh shit, that's pretty fucking good. <laughs> Whereas along right. the line, I wasn't necessarily feeling that. Right. Yep. Yep. I think that's, and I think, uh, uh, 
that's what people talk about when they say own your art. And when they talk about um, agency as an artist, it's those moments where you go, it is what it is. And it's, you know, and that's, that's what it is. And there's, it doesn't need to be dissected or understood to some high level or process. Is it, is it honest? Is it musically good? Do I like it? Do I enjoy singing it and playing it? Yeah, then that's, that's what, that's it. That's all that, that matters. So. Do you have on, like on, I had a conversation? Sorry, go ahead. go ahead. No, no, no. I want to hear you. Well, I had a conversation the other day with somebody who um, uh, we were talking about a producer that's his focus is making music that sells. Mm -hmm. Right. He's trying to make music to sell. It's going to make it to the Texas country radio. And it's bullshit. There's no art in that. As soon as you start thinking about it that way, you have cut the head off of the, the artistic moment that's being created with that. You know, whether it's writing, whether it's music, whether it's painting, whether it's marriage, whatever, like you've got to be doing it because you love it and that's enough for you, you know, and anything else is, I don't know. Like uh, I heard, are you familiar with Jim Harrison, the author? Mm, I don't think so. Well, he's this, he's this author I really like. And he, he talked about this quote the other day on this interview. I heard of real kids that the German poet said, uh, must you write? If not, please don't. <laughs> you know, like yes. write because you're going to write because it's important for you, because it means something for you, not because anything else. So I don't I was, know. I think that's that's a big part of it too. Man, today, today, I, I'm a high school English teacher. And today. Oh, wow. Yeah. And today with my kids, we have this thing that's like a, a county mandated mental health um, lesson, which is great. Um, awesome. Yeah. And uh, today was that day. It's unfortunately not as often as I'd like it, but whatever. It, we were talking about anxiety and I live with generalized anxiety. So I was really excited to be able to just share with the kids personally <clears throat> about my experiences so they could you know, relate to, hey, this is real. I go through it. Here's how I deal with it. And one of the things that it asked you to do was to identify your needs and your wants. And on the needs column, I was sort of, you know, as a teacher would do, I'm modeling what I would write for my needs. And the very first thing that came to mind was the need to create that every day, if I am maintaining my mental health, the way that I need to, if I'm being good enough to myself, I need to make something every day. That has to be a mm. part of the equation. It's it's essential. It's not like a luxury. It is, and I don't mean that it's a chore at all. I just mean that for me to be my healthiest, the healthiest version of myself, I have to make something every day. Heck yeah, man. I love that. Uh I think a lot of people that probably you talk to on your podcast are that way too. 
I, I think a lot of the time we, those, whoever, those of us that need to, we don't realize it mm. that we need to do it every day. You know, um, I was, at, I, I've been journaling every morning for about three years, I guess. And I was at uh, Red River Songwriter Festival in February, me and my wife, and some other friends, some other songwriters. And uh, when I came home from that, my journaling in the morning wasn't what it had been for months before that, which is this is how I feel. This is what's going on. Like I was writing, I was creating, there were lines, there were ideas, there were uh, poems and things just pouring out of me. And I, I think I had that same realization that you're talking about. You had this morning. I was like, Whoa, like, this is what I need to do every day. Like, it's not that I need to, like I said, pressure is, is the creativity killer. It's not that I need to sit down and hash out a song every day, but I need to, I need to create. That's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that awesome. You realize that it's super helpful. It's super helpful, mm -hmm. right? Like the idea that once you know those things, then you can, and, and honestly, that realization is something that came through therapy years ago. It wasn't necessarily a revolution revelation today. I was just sharing it today, but those like when it did, when it hit me, Cause it hit me at a time when I was having panic attacks, didn't realize they were panic attacks, really going through some shit. And the therapist that I, at the time was um, working with, she was like, what'd you make today? What do you create? What, what do you create every day? Mm. And I was like, and this is years ago. I was in law school. I was like law school outlines. <laughs> you know, she's like, no, no, no. What do you make? Like, what are you creating? And I was like, shit, nothing. I mean, at the time, and I had plenty of outlets. I was a, I was writing songs back then. I was, you know, I was writing uh, fiction, fiction and nonfiction. I was writing uh, about um, shows that I'd gone to, and I was back. It was back in the blogging days. I was blogging about restaurants and shit. I was that guy, and so there were outlets I had. I just wasn't doing it, you know. And I did because I didn't mm. process it as a thing I needed. It was like a right. creativity was a luxury in my mind at that time. And it's not necessarily, it's an, it is a necessity for me. Right on. Heck yeah, man. Right. That's powerful stuff. That's the kind of thing that can change your whole life. Yeah. Realizing something like that. It did, didn't it? It did. Absolutely did. This show wouldn't have yeah. existed without that realization. There's no way, you know, and I've, I haven't recorded an album, but I got an album's worth of my own songs that I want to record at some point that wouldn't exist without that moment. I could go on and on, you know? Right a novel on. i have you know i've never i haven't finished it and i haven't published it but again it didn't it doesn't matter even if i never publish it i needed it i needed to get it out right right you needed to create and make the thing and the value of something isn't determined by whether or not people buy it publish it anything like that when it comes to creative things it's is it was it good for you is it right you know does it feel like you then that's it, man. That's that's all that matters. I think that's all that you need to focus on when you're creating. I think everything else gets pretty distracting and sh can shut that creativity down. Man, that's that's amazing. Um, I've been in therapy myself, and I tell you, it turns people into superhumans. Yeah, it does. The stuff that I'm capable of now, like not that I'm superhuman, but uh, the things that I'm capable of now and the things that I'm involved with these days, it kind of blows my mind a little bit. And I don't think um, most of that would have been possible without therapy.
Dude, I'm so glad to hear you say that. And I'm so glad you're sharing it right now. We talk about therapy a fair amount and I, I will never, I will always encourage people to continue to talk about it because I think there are so everybody could benefit from it. And I think there are so many folks who are hesitant for whatever reasons to hear you say that I 100% agree with you. Like it, it's, it's like taking the training wheels off to some extent, you know, it's like, in every aspect of your life, it it helps you to to be more autonomous, helps you to to be a freer person overall. It's, I'm so glad that you found that. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, and it took me a while to realize that um, being vulnerable is more difficult than not. There's more strength. And being vulnerable than being a hard ass or trying to be a tough guy. You know, like, uh, truly, truly. I can't, and once I kind of figured that out, man, it took the pressure off a whole lot of other things in my life, you know. Yeah. Like, I'd, uh, for a while, I'd, I worked for this guy in South Fort Worth, kind of in the hood, um, doing collections for his uh, personal loan business, right? Jesus, yeah, I've done that work. Yeah. Uh-huh, I have, yeah. And, uh, wow. So, and, I, you know, if you if you couldn't pay, I'd, I'd take your car, I'd take your house, I'd take your jewelry, take your television, take your kids' bikes, like, you know, whatever. You, you can't not pay. And um, I was kind of fearless about it, you know. And I didn't mind doing it. It was the guy I was doing it for. His son was my best friend who I love very much. And I would have done anything for his family. Um, But that was way easier than being vulnerable. Mm. As difficult as that was, it was way easier than being vulnerable and honest with myself and with another person. You know, I have largely my wife to thank. She had the the therapeutic experience that was able to tell me about it, encourage me to go do it, and she supports me in it. And man, she supports me in everything I do, and I'm so blessed, so blessed by her every day. I wouldn't be able to do this without her. Hundred percent. She. I mean, I, I hope I would, but yeah, she's one in a million. She encourages me, supports me believes in what I do. It's incredible, dude. It's incredible. And yeah, all over what you do that comes up. I mean, she, you thank her very clearly on your record. Um, it, it's awesome to hear that you sing, you sing about her, you know, I don't know if you directly are singing about her, but you certainly seem to be, um, that's awesome, dude. What a gift. And like, yeah, yeah, for sure. What a gift. Um, all right. We have Scott. This thirty minutes just flew by. This is awesome. I am. Um. I mean, I'm interested in a, in another aspect of your creative process, and that is, uh, I've been listening to "Love and Other Mysteries" by Tipson Obermiller. Oh yeah, co-produced. And isn't that I, awesome? It's great. It and what's int- so interesting to me about it is that I had spent so much time with your record, and then recently I've been listening mm-hmm. to this record, and I love that. And you co-produced your own record too, but I think it's interesting to me because while these two records 
would fit in some big bucket of like Americana or whatever, if we were bucketing it, they're very, very different stylistically as I listen to them. And I, I, I'm interested in this aspect of it. You have such a voice. I mean, I love the way you sing, but I mean, your way of expressing yourself, your written voice is very distinct. Um, you, there's a style to it. It's a, like, I think anytime I hear something by you from now on, now that I've devoured your music, no matter what direction you go musically or whatever decisions you decide to make creatively, I will always know it's you because you have such a, a voice to your writing. And this sounds so different. And I wonder, you know, when you sit down to work with them, how much, like what that process looks like. Because so often when somebody produces something, and I'm not knocking this, but so often when somebody produces something, it ends up sounding a lot like them, right? Like a Mark, like right. Mark Knopfler uh, produced the Dylan record, whichever Infidels, maybe I forget which one it was, but it sounds yeah. like sounds like Mark Knopfler record that Bob Dylan's on, right? Right. Um, and then we could do this with lots of different people, but with you, it doesn't sound like you as I know you. So can you talk a little bit about that? Well. I know Stephen Hillary, uh, that's Tips Obermiller, uh, Hillary Tips and Steve Obermiller. I know him personally, and I'm pretty close friends with both of them. Um, Steve and I, have uh, we deer hunt and bird hunt together quite a bit. Um, a lot of time when I'm in Fort Worth, I'll stay at their house. Uh, they're sweet enough to call their guest bedroom the Prigmore Suite. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we're pretty tight and they come out and stay with us in East Texas from time to time too. Um, I've known Steve and Hillary for many years. And so I'm familiar with who they are as people and as artists. And because of that also, I've heard their music enough to be familiar with who they are musically. And so <clears throat> when uh, they asked me if I would help them with this, I, I felt like it was my job to honor all of those things. Right. And meet all of those. All of those incarnations of Hillary Tips and Steve Overmiller, where they're at as themselves, totally, and completely. And so then when we got to talking about um, arrangements and um, instrumentation for the album, in my head, it was real easy. It was upright bass, uh, minimal drums made with brushes and um guitar parts you know uh extra guitar lead guitar parts that truly served the songs uh -huh. and weren't just there to play lead parts you know but actually created composition compositional um um aspects of each arrangement you know that took into consideration the melody and the feel and everything else and so um I think starting right there is basically, I think, where the vibe and the feel of the record came from, mm. right? Mm. Is Because is, I felt like with acoustic bass and minimal drums with mostly brushes on snare and that sort of guitar part is going to, would give the most room for them to really shine and be themselves fully on this record. And I think you can hear that now. When you listen, you know, like if you were to go, if you listen to that record for two weeks straight and then you go see him live doing a solo show, 
you're not going to feel like anything is missing. Mm. You know? So I feel like those aspects in the production really like elevated them and what they do. So it was kind of like, it was kind of like, it's kind of like meeting, meeting people where they're at and finding a way that'll make them and who they are as, as artists and people um, glow the brightest instead of what I think a record should sound like or be like, yeah, or thinking about genre or anything like that. The only reference point I did have was um, uh, Nora Jones's first record. I was thinking about that without the piano was a little bit of the feel that was kind of in my mind. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I'm really excited to listen to this again with that knowledge in mind. Okay. Interesting. I'm not going to spend too much time right now dwelling on it for the sake of the flow of the podcast, but that you just hit me pretty hard with that. I'm looking forward to diving back in and thinking about it in that way. Interesting. Yeah. The one that had come away with me on it. Yeah. I think the record's called come away with me. I think you're right. It's got her yeah. picture uh-huh. on the cover. Yep. What a fucking record. It's like some fancy script. Oh, man. I might go listen to that so, right after this, too. Um, right on. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, another thing I wanted to talk to you about, and as I'm talking to you, and as I'm listening to your music and thinking about all of this stuff, um, you talked earlier about uh, sort of that universal connection, right? That sort of the almost unknowable thing about the universe and how we can connect through music and art and all these magical, beautiful things. There's also a lot of biblical or a few, at least biblical references though. I mean, there's the whole first song is David and Goliath. Um, There's a reference to Abraham later. What is your relationship like with religion and spirituality? Well, I I wasn't really churched at all, you know, and then, uh, when I was a teenager, I started to connect a little bit with uh, uh, my native heritage, mm. and uh, my dad's mother was was Choctaw, and her mother was raised in an Indian school, and uh, then I started kind of seeking. Uh, philosophies and religions and reading about all kinds of different stuff and digesting whatever I could find I was 16 till I was 18 and then I got into Jesus um, at Denny's one night with a bunch of like kind of wide open minded uh, existentialist sort of Christians that used to hang out in, in the town where I grew up Okay, I was gonna say, did you just say Denny's? You lagged for a second, and you did in fact say Denny's. Okay, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it was Denny's, <laughs> and then uh, after that, I went hitchhiking around the country for a few years, and I went to these things called Rainbow Gatherings. I don't know Hell if yeah! Familiar. Fuck yeah, we have them in the, like, in the forest in Ocala yeah. National Forest. In Ocala, yeah, that's in where Ocala I grew National up. National Forest, y'all have a, a big one every fall. Oh. Yeah, that's oh, where right I grew on. Up. Yeah, yeah, you're familiar. Yeah. Hell yeah. So I used to go and. Uh, hang out and help with help at Jesus camp. Okay. And uh, so I was never really churched and I don't really have a home church. And uh, yeah, so I do consider myself a Christian, maybe more of a Christian animist, but uh, I definitely don't think of myself as an evangelical. Thank you. (laughs) So a lot (laughs) lot easier 
nothing to say what you are. I know that's probably horseshit, but no, that's helpful. Um, that's super helpful because yeah. it is so what I do as as a as a former evangelical who finds it repugnant. I project all Christianity as evangelical and that's not right or fair. And so it's helpful for me to have these conversations to hear you say, make that exclusion intentionally because my own trauma immediately processes Christianity as bad, as hurtful, as racist, and that's not fair. And so it's good for me to hear you say that to like differentiate, because even though I intellectually can make the distinction, the trauma that I have from growing up in the Baptist church will continue to yell in the back of my head, you know? Oh yeah. Yep. I totally understand. My dad had some of that same stuff as a kid. This, um, if you have some more time, our zoom is about to run out, but I would really yeah. like to, to spend like a few more minutes with you if you have it. Yeah. If you, okay, yeah I'm down. Cool. So why don't we in this one and then we'll do another one. Yeah. We'll just click the same link and it'll bring us right back. Okay. Here. Yep. Awesome. Okay, cool, man. Cool. We'll do. All right. Thank there you. we go. Awesome. You threw me a curveball with the rainbow gathering stuff. And I have to ask you about it because that is such a part of the culture of Ocala where I grew up. And oh yeah, Ocala is like the biggest regional gathering happens there at Ocala National Forest. It's huge, and it's and the attitude that people have about it in Ocala is very like look down their nose, judgmental, like those dirty rainbow people kind of an attitude. Can you talk about your experience? Like, how'd you end up with those folks? What is it? What was it like? Can you just speak to that a little bit? Because I'm fascinated. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. After I got out of high school, um, me and a friend of mine, uh, me and her decided to go hitchhike around for a while. And so we were in San Francisco uh, hanging out in Haight-Ashbury. And there were a bunch of the what they call gutter punks, um, like homeless people, teenagers, 20-somethings, you know, yeah. um, hanging out. And everybody was talking about the Rainbow Gathering. Whether or not they were going to the national gathering, where it was, and yada yada, and I was like, "What the hell is that?" Heard about it, you know, and uh, that year it was going to be in uh, Pennsylvania, in Allegheny National Forest, and I was like a month at camping out in Allegheny National Forest, like, "Fuck yeah!" There, you know, because uh, you talked about we were talking about religion and spirituality earlier, and I think in a lot of the ways. Uh, I see God's face in the nature, you know, uh-huh. and, and I feel like that door is sort of like my church a little bit. Uh-huh. And so uh, it sounded great. So I went up there to Allegheny National Forest uh, with another friend of mine and went to that gathering in 99. I think is when that one was and had an awesome time. And then went to uh, some regional gatherings like in Illinois and uh at Carbondale National Forest and a few others and then went to the Montana National in 2000 and then after that me and a friend were actually on our way to Ocala we were going to go to the Ocala Regional Gathering after that Montana National and uh he we had camped out one night and got rained on and we pulled all our gear out to the underpass by the National Forest where we were camping and uh, my buddy started passing a kidney stone there on the side of the road. And that was in uh, Bonafay, Florida. You know where Bonafay is at? 
Ah oh, man, I'm really good on my Florida geography, but I don't know that. I don't know that place. Uh, it's like north, northwest, I guess. Up in the Panhandle. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know that. Yep. that part as well. That's like it might as well be in another country. So yeah, a big mess. We finally got him to the hospital and got me to the hospital too. And his brother came down and picked us up a few days later. But that was pretty much, and then that was kind of it for my hitchhiking days. But uh, I enjoyed it. I dug it. You know, I like, I'm into subcultures of, of the world as much as any other weirdo. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I dug it. I thought it was pretty cool. What was that time like for you creatively? Were you writing then? Were you writing songs? No, not really. I had a few songs. Um, and then me and my friend Jonathan, who I was traveling with, we were playing together and writing and singing together while we were traveling. We'd play for tips or whatever and do a bunch of covers. But um, I've written one song about those times called Good Days. And it's about this dog that we, uh, at the time, I uh, thought we rescued this dog. In Arkansas, I realized we stole somebody's dog. Oh, the exchange no. of a tire. Uh, and we named it Bojangles, me and my friend Mia, me and her, and, and took him on the road with us up to Illinois. If he so was chained to a tire, there. you um, rescued him, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like that. I feel like that's true. Yeah. But yeah. And I, yeah, that's really the only song out of that time I got. Um, then after that and came back home a few years uh, uh after that happened i got into some bad shit and hmm. uh, started using heroin uh getting into some pretty gnarly situations that was gonna so, be or do you think those things are connected at all that was gonna be a question that i asked you was like hmm. When anytime you're separated from sort of the mainstream of society or whatever, and then you come back and you're trying to assimilate, that can be really hard. And I, 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 do you think that's connected at all? I think um, me traveling and hitchhiking around and using heroin were probably two horns on the same goat of me not processing and dealing with uh, stuff that happened when I was a kid and teenager, as far as being allowed to be my own person, whoever that may be, you know, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now and I only realized that now after the last couple of years having had a real smart therapist, you know, helps me figure some of this shit out. But okay. yeah, that's that's what I think both of those things were, and I think that's what uh, working for that guy in the hood, chasing his damn money, was all about too. Mm-hmm. You know, it was another thing that um, I did because I wasn't sure about me being comfortable with whoever I was, whoever I might be, you know? So, and it was easier to be a hard ass and a, a loan shark than to deal with my trauma. Dude. So. I'm so glad you got into a place where you're dealing with your trauma. I'm so happy for you. Thanks, and I'm man. so, I, I, that just makes like, that makes me so fucking happy, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you, Good you know that you got to that place and that you're that you're making this beautiful music and just doing great Thanks, things man. yeah me too me too i'm real grateful for it you know um uh last year i started this company with my friend chase glover this songwriter here in east texas called old sheepdog music group and we do uh we're basically a, a booking company 
we book for a lot of other artists, a lot some listening rooms, and we also put together the help put together the Hotel Turkey Song Festival okay. up in Turkey, Texas. That happens uh, every September. And if it wasn't for a therapy, I don't think I'd have the bandwidth or the ability to be able to do any of that stuff, much less make this, these records that I'm proud of and believe in, and much less be able to help somebody else make a record that we're proud of and believe in. You know, like, I think therapy helped make any and all of that stuff possible. Fuck yeah. For sure. Awesome. Yeah. Seven, this has been fucking marinade gold. This is so beautiful. I'm so thankful. Oh, right on. Um, we usually end on the art that has you inspired at the moment. You're clearly a reader. You're clearly a consumer of music. What art, whatever it may be, could be a painting or a book you're reading. Like, what are you excited about right now? Man, uh, lately I've been going back to uh, pretty much any and all of James McMurtry's stuff really and um yeah the last book that i read that really hit me hard um is and it's i'm still carrying it with me now like in my daily thoughts and way of stuff i'm thinking about writing about stuff i watch and hear other people do is uh gilead by marilyn robinson i know the name but i i, I don't know any i know the name Terry, you know Terry Klein? Are you familiar with his music? Austin yeah. Songwriter? Hell yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a, another friend of mine that I, I tour and travel with every chance I get to play shows with anytime he yeah. wants to. I'm there. Um, yeah. He recommended that book. He actually gave me his copy. And uh, yeah, absolutely love it. And the oh. other thing is uh, I've been watching Narcos. Oh, uh-huh. I, I haven't seen right? what you're and, talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And I was talking to my wife about this the other day, I think partly because of uh, things I've done for a living and haven't been on hard drugs and experienced trauma myself. I can watch the show and kind of chill out. <sighs> you know what I mean? Like uh -huh. it gives my wife anxiety and makes her nervous. It's, it's yeah. traumatizing and horrible and violent, but I'm like, Oh, this is interesting and cool. But uh, <laughs> One thing they talk about in the show in the, the new season that they're narrating is, um, mystical realism hmm. i don't know if you ever read uh gabriel garcia marquez like uh 100 years of solitude or love in the time of cholera i'm familiar but no or uh there's another guy who wrote uh the milagro beanfield war same kind of mystical realism and it's where um kind of like where the mystically absurd intersects with reality mm -hmm. and so that sounds like my shit right there Oh man, you should read a hundred years of solitude. Okay. You should absolutely read that. Right. And so um yeah, I've been thinking about his writing and the way that happens in life all the time. Um, you know, I had a friend, one of my favorite people I've ever known in my life, uh, Rodney Moore, um, passed away not this past November, October, but the October before. And since he's passed, I see him and I hear him and I talk to him everywhere. Uh, like he just shows up. Like I'll be on the phone with Chase talking about like the love of music and doing something just for the love of it. And then all of a sudden, like Rodney's favorite song of all time will come on Spotify. That's like, 
whoa it's just so yeah i've been thinking a lot about mis uh, uh mystical realism i guess lately i find that well that anecdote i find incredibly comforting like I, I, existence and death are a constant specter for me it's where my anxiety comes from what you just said about your friend rodney gives me so much hope you know and and comfort like that gives me a feeling of that the, that it isn't all sort of uh we're just here and then we die and it doesn't matter it gives me a, a sense of like that feels like there's a purpose to it all that is a com that's comforting to me what you just said right on well rodney and i let's Here's what's here's what's mind blowing about it. So Rodney and I used to talk all the time about whether or not time is real, right? And if something happened once, that it's happening still. And we know that matter doesn't ever go anywhere. Doesn't it, well, it, it changes. It doesn't leave or go, you know. And the same for the possibly for the human spirit. And so that means like if uh, if we were there before, then we're there still in some way you know, in some way. And if we can connect with that, we can kind of, um, we can jump past the parameters that the physical world has set for ourselves a little bit, you know? Yeah. And you're and getting, it, and you're getting reinforcement from, uh, about that. Like that's, that's really, I find that again, I find that really <laughs> helpful. Like you're, you're seeing, you're, you're seeing it, you're experiencing it. Yeah. I, I wish I could talk to him about it. It blows my <laughs> if i could go back in time three years to one of those conversations and be like holy shit man look listen to this stuff i've figured out three years from now yeah 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 <laughs> oh my god yeah oh dude this has been an all-timer thank you so much um yeah your record's beautiful uh thank you. you're a beautiful thank human you. i'm I'm so grateful that we connected man this is uh i'm glad and thank you for being patient you know i i just Again, folks listening, like they know most of the folks who are listening know that like this last year or so was fucking hard, man. I just was going through thing after thing after thing. And you and I had to reschedule this because of those things. And so for your willingness to do this is greatly appreciated, man. I'm glad we didn't miss out on this. Absolutely, man. And uh, anytime you want to chat or, or holler or whatever, man, just just give me a ring. Um, and I'd love to read some of your stuff, too, if, if you'd be willing to share it. Cool. Yeah. I'll share some stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, most of the stuff that I have like that's published or digestible is nonfiction stuff, but usually it's not cool. really strict, strictly nonfiction. You know, it's usually me talking about art in some way. It's, it's me talking about a show I went to or whatever. And it's not a typical show review. Um, it's usually sort of the experience or a diary of the experience. Um, oh, cool. and then if I ever publish that novel, I'll send you a copy. <laughs> Man, I'd I'd love to read it and uh, check out Jim Harrison. I, I think will. You, I think you would love his stuff. Man. Okay, and I'm gonna read yeah. 100 Years of Solitude too. So good. Yeah, I got a stack right now. I've, I'm I'm on fire with reading right now, and it's so, right such on. a good feeling, you know, when you're when you're on a roll. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, Seven, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. Have a great night. Absolutely. All right, you too, Jason. Thanks for having me on. All you want to know about a liquor cup But it's something in the way In the way
Stefan Prigmore, y'all. Thank you so much, Stefan. Thank all of you for listening. StefanPrigmore.net for all things Stefan Prigmore, y'all. I could have talked to him for another hour or two. Just such a pleasure. The song you're hearing in this episode is Door Girl from Stefan's wonderful record, Everything Is At Least Both, which has been a constant companion of mine since it came out in uh, November of 2022. MarinadePodcast.com for all things The Marinade, including written pieces, photography, our online store, which desperately needs updating and more uh follow us on instagram tiktok spoutable and twitter we love interacting over on the socials with y'all subscribe and give us a five-star rating on your podcast app if you haven't already continue to tell friends about the show these are all free ways to support the marinade and we're so grateful you do if you really like what we're doing please uh, consider if you can swing it joining our patreon community just two dollars a month y'all you can gain access to patreon exclusive content like our show jason's journey where i talk about the moments that shape my creative life i'm about to record one of those because i got i had the coolest fucking experience in tampa this weekend i got to sit down with bronson arroyo world series champion gold glover uh all-star um one of my favorite Cincinnati Reds of all time and I'm an obsessive Cincinnati Reds fan and have been since I was six years old he's also a songwriter so we got to talk baseball and creativity and the intersections of those things he occupies like the rarest space in the Venn diagram of my interests uh so it was super he's from Florida like just it was just the wildest experience um I was just the whole time trying to be like be cool Jason (laughs) don't freak out you're just sitting down with Bronson Arroyo talking about records and Ken Griffey Jr. and Joey Votto and shit. Um, So anyway, I got a lot to say about that. And uh, I put that kind of thing up on Patreon. Uh, We we provide a window, like I said, in the process of making the marinade. And, um, you know, we also have some other cool stuff. We have a brand, uh, somewhat brand new monthly show called What We're Getting Down On. It's a conversation between me and my good friend, Peter Haraldson, that I think is a blast. We're having a great time making it and hope y'all enjoy it. Uh, we also have a show called Inner Child. Just posted one a couple of days ago where I ask our, our guests these like childlike questions such as favorite food, TV show, like silly questions, you know. If you want to support the show financially but you don't want to commit to that monthly subscription on Patreon, I totally get that. You can Venmo or PayPal us. It's just at the marinade and all the money goes right back into making the show. But above all, we're just super thankful that y'all listen and spread the word about the marinade and continue to support us. Thank you so much. Until next time, go out and create something. Cheers, y'all.